0: DNA Track started out by licensing a technology called DNA Tracks from Lawrence Livermore. DNA Tracks was a, a material that had been developed at Lawrence Livermore for the purpose of enhancing the country's biodefense, biodetection capability. So the applications were mainly in the defense area and, and I was thinking about how I could take that and maybe apply it to other areas which may have some sensitivity to pathogens such as healthcare you know, places like airports where an attack or some kind of biological release could be a problem. Um, and this is still an area where we're looking at quite actively. But we were able to realize that by reformulating the material, we could create something that can become an almost universal traceability solution. I had a startup prior to DNA Trek, and I had licensed another technology from Lawrence Livermore for a cancer therapy device. And you know, we, we took that far enough along and there was a point where I handed it off, handed it off, and I was looking for other opportunities. And I was actually within Lawrence Livermore looking at technologies mainly in the green energy area. And you know, as I was exploring various opportunities, nothing quite there, you know, clicked with me. So quite literally, as I was walking away from from the meeting, someone ran to me and said, Hey, you know, how about this DNA tracks things? You want to take a look at that? And, you know, to me it almost sounded like the better mousetrap. It was irresistible in its simplicity, and it is rich. And, and that's how I decided to go ahead and, and license the technology. Uh, licensing a technology from a national lab, it's not really tough. Um, in other words, the national labs have a charter to actually promote the commercialization of the technology they develop. So they're actually looking to do that. Uh, executing a license, it takes some time. You know, you're dealing with the government bureaucracy. Uh, you need to present a business plan that is acceptable. You you need to agree on royalties and other terms. But you know at the end of the day, everybody is looking to make this happen. So there's no resistance to it per se. So the process starts by taking an option out on the technology. Uh, and that option is usually somewhere between 6 to 12 months. During that time, you can explore it and you can decide whether you want to go forward with a license. So I took the option out at the end of 2013 and by the end of 2014 we had and an, negotiated and signed license yeah so so the the original application like i said in the biodefense biodetection area was interesting and it is attractive uh, but the market is fairly small um, and, and you know my background is you know i love food and i love fresh produce and i grow food you know and and you know i've been i've been somewhat um uh, wondering what's going on with food safety and with the globalization of the food supply, you know, and all the horror stories you hear, uh, you know, how is that going to go forward? What kinds of risks are we putting ourselves uh, in? So I kept thinking, uh, and of course there's the increased awareness of sourcing and, you know, responsible farming and so on and so forth, and I was trying to figure out if there was a way to put these two together. And then I realized that, you know, by taking this technology and kind of changing the way it was formulated, we could create the better traceability. Something that, you know, sometime way out in the future would give you or anybody, a consumer, the ability to take an apple and identify the source and the farming methods at the source and you know everything that has to do with the, the production of that apple. So, so let's just take a step back first and, and try to understand what is traceability, right? And traceability is the ability to trace something through its supply chain. So in the event of a problem, um, you can identify the path that the product took to get to the consumer, identify where the problem was introduced, and take a corrective measure there. Um, and the way traceability works today, it mainly works with printable barcodes, which go on the case of, of the product itself. And of course, if you walk by a supermarket and you look at the back of the supermarket, you see a stack of, of crushed you know, uh, cardboard boxes. That's the first thing that happens. When a product gets to the supermarket, they take it out of the box, they crush the box, they throw the box away. In the process, all the traceability information is lost. So what we have is expensive and it doesn't work. Um, so Our solution is very different because it puts all the traceability information directly on the product itself. So, you know, for example, um, this is an apple, right? Uh, The way this would work is that at the the farm, you know, the producer would have a spray um, that would spray directly into the apple, uh, you know, just like that. And the moment you do this, uh, this little spray has now put the source information directly on the skin of this apple. It stays with it up until the moment of consumption. Um, just so that, that we are clear, this apple already has a coating on it. It's a, it's a wax coating. All apples have a wax coating to protect them from bruising and you know, pr- preserve them and so on and so forth. Our material goes in mixed with the, with the wax, so there's nothing incremental in the supply chain. Is what they normally do, they just add this tracer, and that really puts on the skin of the apple all the information you need to know. So, the, the process you use to read this information is something that you've seen a thousand times if you watch CSI or any of the detective shows, right? There's a swab and then there's a DNA analysis. Uh, so as it stands today, uh, there is a very small device that is very commonly used in biology labs and it's very inexpensive. And by swabbing the surface and using the device, you can identify all the traceability information. Um, these devices are portable now and some of them are actually iPhone based. So in the very near future, even the consumers would be able to actually do this at home. It would be used in two situations. If situation one is where there is already routine test, There are already routine tests taking place, executed by either the FDA or the USDA. So they routinely test pro- produce from, for pathogens, you know, and other types of contaminants. You know, as part of that test, they can also look for our barcode. And in the event of a problem. It's a one-stop, uh, one-stop shop kind of thing. Uh, you find a problem and immediately you know where the source is, so you can very, you can target the response very, very narrowly. Um, in the second scenario is when there is a problem and then you try to identify the source of the problem, in essence execute what is called a trace back, where you have a piece of produce and you suspect that this produce is contaminated or you have evidence of contamination, then you can swab the surface and identify the source. Um, we, we like to think of our starting process along two paths. So there is what we call the high risk path. In that high risk path, there, is, there are products that they've had Occurrences of uh, foodborne illness outbreaks in the recent past. And these involve apples, most recently, you know, cantaloupe, um, spinach, sprouts, eggs, mangoes, and so on and so forth. So we're going to select a handful, you know, two or three from these high risk products. Then the other path is what we call the high value uh, path, which is products that are of high value and they are frequently subject to fraud or adulteration. As, for example, Olive oil, seafood, uh, you know, more high-end products like truffles, saffron, and so on and so forth. So our approach is to to pick two or three high-risk products and two or three high-value products and do a pilot there, demonstrate the effectiveness before we have a general rollout. Yes. The, the 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 paying customer is the producer, and the producer as it stands today. Uh, is required to implement traceability by the Food Safety Modernization Act. So there is a law that was put into effect in 2011, and requires mandates traceability. This law has not been implemented very much at all, in part because there are no good solutions. The solutions are expensive and they are ineffective. So. The current government plan is to have full implementation of the Food Safety Modernization Act by the end of 2016. So this is the window, right? So ultimately, the, the producers will have to comply. They will have to adopt some kind of traceability. And obviously, they're very, very cost uh, sensitive. So the lowest cost traceability solution is going to win. And we are the, cl- the, lowest, the lowest cost solution. On the other side, there are also the retailers. And, and usually, when there's a problem, when there is an outbreak, those who get egg on their faces are the retailers. Those are the ones that they have to go to their customers and explain that there is a problem, right? And, and ultimately, they're the ones who are actually going to drive by economic measures the adoption into their supply chain. So we're going to be making the producers aware of the solution and we're going to make the retailers aware of the solution. So it's going to be a mating of some sort, right, where the, 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 the producers are aware of it, but ultimately the retailers are driving it into their supply chain. I have to remind you that the origin of the, te- of the technology and the company was in the bio-defense area, where DNA is a good thing. People like to hear about DNA and DNA tracks and DNA tracks and you know all that. So we, we sort of um, adopted, adopted that approach only because the people we're talking to, they were very receptive to that. Having said that, DNA, is very safe, particularly the type of DNA we're using. It's already approved by the FDA as a food additive. Um, There is no real reason for concern. But are we going to fight this battle? We're not going to fight this battle, because there are people who are concerned about the safety of their food. And the last thing we want to do is add to their burden. The last thing we want to do is add to their worries. We're here to take this burden away from them, not add to it. So we have reformulated the material. So now it's no longer synthetic DNA as it is what we're using in the biodefense area. This is now an all-natural extract from plants and seaweed. There is nothing synthetic, there's nothing artificial about it. So it's made out of plants, it's made out of seaweed, and in essence we're using the diversity that already exists in nature to create this ability to encode traceability information and print you know, quote-unquote, print that on the product itself. So, so what we're doing is we are actually using different types of, let's just say seaweed or plants, to create a combination, right? So by adjusting the presence of the absence of these elements in, in the mixture, we can create barcodes. We can create binary numbers. Just like in a, in a lock you set the digits to one two three four or whatever the combination is and you pre- you create a unique combination that opens your lock this is exactly what we do we have a collection of, of seaweed and other plant materials and by setting the right combination we can use that to describe a source and we are going to rebrand the company so we are going to adopt something uh, you know branding that reflects both the fact that our solution is all natural and drawn from plants and seaweed, and its intention is to give the consumer access to information that they think is important. You know, where is my food produced? You know, everything we use, our shoes, our socks, you know, our shirt, everything has a made-in label on it. So we seem to be very concerned about where our shirt was made, but we really have no ability to figure out where our food is made. And, and this is what we're trying to address. We're trying to give the the consumer the ability to identify where their food is produced, where it's coming from. This is a way for people to 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 convince themselves that their food is local or it is GMO free or it is organic or it is pesticide free, or you know sometime out in the future that it was produced using responsible farming methods, uh, you know not using child labor. you know so this is a way that gives a tremendous visibility into the supply chain and puts that visibility in the hands of the end consumer. Not something that we want to do tomorrow, but this is the path we're going down. We have a variety of solutions that they prov- they provide different level of security depending on the value of the commodity. Not a lot of people are going to go out of their way to F- to uh, create counterfeit cantaloupes, right? A cantaloupe is a cantaloupe. But a lot of people may go out of their way to counterfeit you know, olive oil. So just like you cannot be duplicated, just like I cannot duplicate it, this is the tool we have in our hands. We have something that cannot be duplicated. We can create a material that it can simply not be duplicated. So, and this is the way that protects uh, counterfeiters from duplicating our product. Our ability to protect our combinations is no different from the encryption methods they use today in you know communications and whatnot. So you know it is possible in if time is no, of no essence and money is of no essence, to duplicate our solution, it would take you thousands of years and millions of dollars to be able to duplicate the code on a bottle of olive oil. Not worth it. You know, the other thing also you need to consider is that exactly because the number of combinations is infinite, we can change it ad hoc. So because this bottle of olive oil contains a given code today, doesn't mean it's gonna contain the same code tomorrow. So if you du- duplicate today's code, you are out of luck because tomorrow is something else. The food traceability market alone is a $14 billion market. Is, I mean, nobody would, would believe that. I, I didn't, and I've seen market reports. The food marking technologies alone, meaning the barcodes or RFIDs, is a $4 billion market just for food. That doesn't count in pharmaceuticals, which is another huge market. Doesn't count in you know other high-value products. So you know at the end of the day, the 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 opportunity itself is is huge. This is a very big thing. Pharmaceuticals. There is also a very strong mandate for uh, traceability, and the methods they have today are methods that they are applied onto the packaging. So, and and you know these are not. Uh, it's, that easy to duplicate, but ultimately, it's on the packaging itself. If you can somehow open the packaging, you can replace the product, and then nobody would know the difference. Uh, Our solution would actually go in the the drug itself. So that is impossible to duplicate. So we believe that there's a significant opportunity there. uh, And we are, in fact, in talks with various pharmaceutical companies that they have an interest. Um, Another area which is important, uh, but it's not a huge market, it's cannabis. So there is a very strong um, mandate for cannabis traceability. Um, the methods they use today are also, just like in the food business, they're very expensive. You know, they use RFIDs and, and they're inefficient. Um, so this offers an opportunity for uh, a, a, a novel cannabis traceability method. Again, it is sprayed directly on, on the product itself. Again, for us, cannabis is just like any other agricultural commodity. It's not a huge market for us. But you know if, if it enables uh, proper uh, legalization and, and protects you know, the public and the business, we're all for it. We have formed partnerships with a number of both producers, distributors and third parties. and, and the purpose of these partnerships is to use actual supply chains to uh, barcode product at the source, move it to the supply chain, intercept it at the consumer or the retail level and then be able to to demonstrate that we can identify the source if produce is commingled we can identify different sources that our material survives supply chain conditions so it's still present at the end and and things like that. Things that would demonstrate that this fully meets the requirements for the traceability solution. So we have partnerships already formed with various commodity producers like a candle producer in California, an apple producer in uh, Washington State. We have a partnership with the UC Davis Olive Center and we're going to use their olive grove and their olives to do uh, an olive oil pilot test. We have various uh, agreements with uh, producers in the seafood and poultry business. Um, so, and, and we're also exploring some options in the cannabis business. So, there are a lot of partners already lined up, and we are ready to start uh, the tests in the next couple of months. We are actually trying to raise a seed round. Uh, you know, having said that, in parallel, we're pursuing other non-dilutive uh, funding. So, we have actually won already a, a small business innovation research grant, and we're applying for a couple more. Uh, We do have some orders that they come from the biodefense area that would actually cover a lot of the things that we need to do in the coming year, which really uh, evolve around a pilot and also registering this product in the European Union because we believe there is a very large market there as well. Uh, We would like to raise a little more money. Uh, We don't think that the total funding requirements will be huge before this can be fully commercialized and and self-sustained. So let's just start, for an example, how how you can deploy something like that. Let's just start with olive oil. Um, California produces 99% of uh, all, all U.S. olive oil. In other words, California sets the rules and regulations with respect to olive oil testing, certifications, and so on and so forth. What California decides, the U.S. adopts, right? The U.S. now is the number one importer of olive oil in the world which really means what the U.S. decides in terms of certifications and tests, the world adopts, right? Where does it all start? It all starts at UC Davis, the UC Davis Olive Center, because that is the focal point of the California olive oil industry. We have a relationship with them already. So if we work with them and if we can, you know, demonstrate that our product, in fact, solves the olive oil adulteration problem, that's the adoption path. From the UC Davis, we can deploy it within California. We can deploy it within the U.S., and then, you know, we can deploy it within the worldwide uh, market. Um, you know, Costco and Walmart—they are huge retailers. If we can convince the two of them that our solution works, you know, Walmart has a hu- huge presence in China. I guess, you know, where the need would be the strongest, right? China. So, if we can convince Walmart that this works, next thing you know, it can be in China, it can be in India, it can be anywhere. So there are not a ton of things that we need to do. We just need to form some critical partnerships at the retail level with third parties and then adoption, we believe, will move very quickly because this is a real need with not a good solution. Material doesn't really die. The, you know, the material will be present for a very long time and under proper storage conditions, it would be present through the ice age. So it really depends how it's, it's handled. And depends on, on the environment. You know, if if you put it on an apple, it will be there until someone eats the apple. If you put it on a steak, the moment you cook it, it'll disintegrate, right? So yes, there may very well be applications where it can replace, you know, current traceability systems. We have uh, used it on cardboard boxes that they were shipped across the country and you know we demonstrated that yes, it's it's feasible. So, the, the, the applications are, or the possible, the field of possible applications is very wide. So, in terms of scanning it, how close, right now the technology, I'm sure it's going to change, how far away do I have to be, how close to something uh, do I have to be in order to, to scan it and identify it? You have to physically touch it. So you have to be able to swab it and, and, and collect the sample. Um, I honestly don't know much to be able to tell you if that will change in the future. You know, having said that, there are other materials that we are also looking at that you could uh, do it from uh, you know the same distance as you would you would be today to scan a readable barcode. So there are other materials, and we're looking into those. You know, they may not be suitable for. All applications but they may very well be suitable for some. We are continuing the effort to raise some incremental uh, capital um, but we are already set to go forward with the field pilot so in about the next six to maybe nine months we're gonna have a full-scale pilot like I said we're gonna use approximately six commodities three from a high risk and three from a high value group where we're gonna apply our solution, we're gonna move them through a supply chain, we're gonna demonstrate the effectiveness of the solution, and then we're gonna start building awareness of the con- producers, producer associations, and retailers. Our plan is to have our first commercial customers signed up by the beginning of 2016. You know, Having said that, there are already people who wanna sign up. Uh, we're trying to hold the line a little bit before we, we jump into that pool uh, both both feet on. <laughs> maybe, maybe genetics. <laughs> Me and you bring up that. <laughs>